Hi everybody, this is Seth. And this is Julia. And we are running out of movies. Today we're talking about Gone in 60 Seconds. Starring Nicolas Cage. I'm Starring Nicolas Cage. Starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a little background here. Uh, this came out June 9th, 2000, which feels right, you know? Yeah, it's a very uh, 2000-y movie. Yeah, it's, it's the color correction... Everything looks like it was shot through Mountain Dew. So it feels very early 2000s. And the needle drops are all very... Yeah. Like, oh, I remember that song. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very like, uh, we were all figuring out Pandora, how it worked. And we only had 10 songs to work with. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this came out early 2000. Um, it uh, took some digging, but I found the, um, the jacket copy from the DVD. And I'll read that for our summary. Memphis Reigns, Nicolas Cage is a former car thief who is forced to come out of retirement when his younger brother, Kip... Who's... Yeah, Giovanni Ribisi. Who's Phoebe's brother. Phoebe's brother. From Friends. Yeah. Phoebe, it, the, the one Phoebe that you know. And we'll circle his back to, to the fact that Nicolas Cage's character is named Memphis Reigns. Uh, is unable to deliver 50 expensive cars to a to dangerous smuggler, Raymond Kalitri, played by Christopher Eccleston. Who is Doctor Who number one of the reboot. Yes. With his brother's life on the line, Memphis must enlist his old car-stealing partners for help in order to pull off the ultimate crime. And I'm going to stop reading the summary because I lose interest in it from there. But uh, <laughs> that's about it. So we just watched Gone in 60 Seconds. What did you think? I'd say that is an accurate summary, and that's yeah. about everything that happens in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about that yeah. one line. Yeah, that 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 summarizes it at least the at least the first act, and then like it's kind of like. It's one of those first acts where um, you could have just shown me the first 15 minutes of the movie, then I could have described the rest of the movie to a, a police sketch artist. Yes, it's very much like, it's like, you know, one of those movies where we're getting the crew back together, and then mm -hmm. it's just every single beat of those movies that you've seen a thousand times. And we'll go we'll go through the, the movie beat by beat, but um, I I mean, the... Yeah, how do you th what do you think about it overall? What were your overall thoughts? Well, well just one quick thought, uh, just on the thing that you just mentioned, which the show Rick and Morty would make fun of me, but I love the trope of getting the crew <laughs> together. Like, it's one of my but favorite... it's like, to, as, as a great example, the uh, montage of them doing it on Rick and Morty is funnier and more interesting than the yeah. whole 20 minutes of them doing it in this movie. And they did... This is the thing that shocked and horrified me as a person who loves this trope, as a devotee of this trope. <laughs> they do it, like, over the phone. Yeah, it's very much just like a guy, you know, Nick Cage goes to someone and he's like, all right. And then he goes to the next person and the guy's like, nah. And then he yeah. goes to the next person and he's like, nah. It's like, I, I don't care what kind of, I mean, this, this movie has a very, like, stringent douchebag inventory of, like, just, like, only the douchiest of objects are allowed in. Um... But just, like, it's an opportunity for, like, Nick Cage to be showing up in Aviator, smoking a cigar. Yeah, let him out, you know? Let him be Nick yeah. Cage. One guy, like, you know, we see one guy just very charismatically win a, a chicken wing eating contest, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and then he's just, like, it's the same old Stewie, you know? Um, yeah. But we don't get any of that. He's just going through his Rolodex on the phone. Yeah, like, it it's not, you don't even get any really interesting bits about the characters that he's yeah uh recruiting it's just like some random guy and then like some yeah. other random guy and then angelina jolie in blonde dreadlocks yes so uh, circling back to like, getting to know these characters through the um also i just wanted to step back to give a better uh uh like starting point of like what this movie is about Please, yeah. is is just um phoebe's brother who is also in this movie um 
it like starts Giovanni by pulling Ribisi. some Phoebe's brother. <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi. Starts by pulling some job in which he's stealing cars and he messes it up and gets in trouble with the mm-hmm. big bad guy who is Doctor Who number one mm-hmm. of the reboot. And he messes up, he he steals a car and we get the the sense that he's working for a big chop shop and he steals a car in such a flam flamboyantly awkward way that he gets the whole chop shop taken down. Oh. So gotcha. he's responsible not just for a script. Oh yeah, yeah. And um <laughs> And we get like kind of the, the I, this was a famous having watched this movie in high school. This was like a famous monologue from a guy, uh, the muscly guy on the crew. He's giving this lecture about how he's invented the new way to masturbate. Um, where he oh yeah, I remember that part. Yeah, where he sits on his hand, it falls asleep, and then he masturbates and he calls it the stranger. And so this is like I think like do I love that monologue? No. Is the movie doing a good job of like telegraphing exactly who it's for in the first <laughs> three minutes? Yes. Uh, so that's true. That's a fair point. Yeah. So anyway, so Rubisi, uh, Phoebe's brother. Yeah, uh, Memphis Mist. I'll call him because uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage is named Memphis Reigns in this movie, which I had completely forgotten about. Took it face value and just absolutely like I guess there are car thieves named Memphis Reigns. Like he when must I be a super cool car thief. Yeah. Uh, it it sounds like. Um, if Carthys were choosing like an AOL handle, like an AOL aim handle, <laughs> they'd maybe do Memphis Reigns. I mean, it was 2000. But like stealing cars for a living, that's an audacious thing to do. To look other thieves in the eye and just be like, you will refer to me as Memphis Reigns. Like, uh, <laughs> that's just like, wow. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, Phoebe's brother mm-hmm. uh, gets in trouble with whoever the, you know, the Doctor Who bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, Nicolas Cage has to come and fix it for him. Mm-hmm. And the only way that he can fix it for him is if he steals 50 cars for this bad guy. Yeah, so we... And the Happy Village beat we get for our protagonist, Memphis Reigns, is that he has given up this car-stealing life. He is now out in the country teaching little kids how to play... How to drive go-karts. Which was, like, the most... Maybe the best scene of the whole movie. Oh. It was just Nicolas Cage... Uh, yelling at, like, eight-year-olds to, like, drive better. The 20 seconds of him being a go-kart coach was, like, I wish it was the whole movie. I would watch a whole movie of just, like, Nicolas Cage in a small town, like, mending his ways and learning to love. Yeah. And I also think it's it's sort of like Nicolas Cage is one of these people where um, people like to laugh at his choices a lot. But I think he's, like, undeniably brilliant. And when he's cast in the right project, he's perfect. Yeah, that was something I noticed a lot throughout this movie is that, like, it was so bland and average that there were like little moments where Nicolas Cage would like do something extra crazy or extra intense and it was like that's yeah that's, that's what, what Nicolas Cage is for like cast someone else if you want yeah just like a normal person like let him scream at things and it's kind of funny there's also a, a, a quick observation I just want to build off the fact that he his happy village beat is him not stealing cars but teaching young children how to enjoy tiny cars um from there, I think, like, the movie, especially in the first act, is really preoccupied with being a car movie to the point where it's almost like the Flintstones. Like, <laughs> everything has to ha- involve a car. Like, his little brother is caught by the bad guy. And the way they're, like, capture <laughs> slash torturing him is they put him in a car and then they pin him to, like, a uh, a wall with a, um, with a forklift that's... Like one of those car smashers at like a... Yeah, well, they have a forklift going through the car, pushing it into one of those car smashers. Uh... Smashing that. It was just so preoccupied with just like using car inventory for everything that it was like the Flintstones where it sort of like... 
There's a scene. The bird's like a record player. Yeah, there was like a, a, a grill that was yeah, that what you're talking that, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where at the, at the very end, some, some guy is uh, grilling burgers and it's like in the hood of a car has been like retrofitted to be a grill. It's like, I get it. Yeah. And this is, I might be pushing this line of thought too far, but it was like, so cars and metal and, and that's all great. So then the the weird fetish they give the bad guy is that he's obsessed with wood. Oh, yeah, which that seemed, it's like that seems so out of left field that it would have been really fascinating if they had just leaned really hard into it. But they like mention it once at the beginning and then once at the end to the point where I'd forgotten about it by the time it came up at the end. And I think it was just part of this car inventory of just sort of like he liked the opposite of cars. Like, uh, he, like what's anti-metal? Wood. And he's just like, yeah, he gives this weird kind of Bond villain speech in the uh, when he's introduced, sort of like, it's the most versatile material on earth, and it's like, I don't know. And he like, says it's like watching children grow is watching a piece of furniture get built. And it's like, whatever, man. Uh, and he's also already built a gorgeous kind of, could put it on Etsy coffin for Rabisi <laughs> that he shows Nicholas Cage. It's kind of a, a t- taunt. <laughs> He's like, I spent, in order to taunt you, I spent 48 hours yeah. handcrafting this meticulous, gorgeous piece of work. And he contacts, he tells Nicolas Cage after showing the coffin he's going to put his brother in, which also he's planning to, uh, by what we, oh, I guess we haven't seen this yet, but. Planning to smush him. He's planning to smush him, so it's like not going to be an open casket. It might be west, wasted effort that he's put like beautiful linens on the inside <laughs> of this casket. But then he turns, the, I just caught my attention. Maybe this is great writing because he turns to Nicolas Cage and he says that the casket is his first one, the first one he's made. And uh, it just reminded me of uh, Donald Trump bragging about winning uh, the presidency on his first try. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like such a clearly like, like that sort of like that weird intersection where a complete psychopath is the same as a 10 year old boy. (laughs) Like, yeah. uh, yeah, so I thought that that was a really strikingly, like, I think if the screenwriter knew how funny that is, then, like, hats off. That was very funny. But, yeah, it's like if they had, if they had like, leaned into that direction of it, it would have been a much more interesting choice. Yeah, so, um, so, Rabisi screws up. Uh, the, the Doctor Who guy is leveraging that to get Memphis Reigns back in the game, which sets us up for our, our big, huge problem. He has, is, how does Nicolas Cage steal 50 cars in, se- in three days? Yeah, so he, not just three days. I think <laughs> Specifically they, 72 hours. And it's just like... The, to the minute. Yeah, the way they're counting this down, it's like the bad guy has like an atomic clock. That he's <laughs> just like counting the nanoseconds. Uh, they're very... They think this is a, a very serious deadline. That's going to be a hard cutoff. We, we maybe talked about getting the, the crew together first but this happens then he gets the crew together over the phone yeah. first he goes to get uh bob duvall right because his thing is like well i can't personally steal 50 cars in 72 hours so i'm gonna need to you know get my old old crew back together because he's since yeah. gone straight yeah and the only one that he really does the way you're supposed to do in this this part of the movie he goes to see uh robert duvall or i call him bob duvall so I'm kind of I've been around the block a couple times, so you know. So you and him were on a first name basis. Yeah, so Bob Duvall, he's in there. He and he's great. He he's one of these actors where it's like it's maybe overkill to bring him into Gone in sixty seconds, but he's <laughs> yeah. wonderful the entire time. I was surprised throughout at like the like all the actors are like recognizable people yeah. and like things where you're like, oh, this guy's in it. This is great, and then they just don't do anything. Yeah, like they <laughs> That's don't. Fair. Like a uh, bullet tooth Tony is one of the. Um, uh, people in the crew that they get together and he literally only has one line in the entire movie where it's like what are you 
like let your actors act. Yeah, That's they what they're there for. They played that as kind of a joke. Like he was sort of like a stoic muscle man the entire movie. He also like it was almost like the way they used his character was almost like plagiarism um, from his his roles in Lockstock and Snatch. Although when I think Snatch might have come out after this movie. Oh, that that's maybe Wait, fair. I'm gonna look that up right now. Oh, same year. So that yeah, actor was year. that actor was maybe having a moment. He was having a good year. Yeah, absolutely. But um, so he gets his crew back together. Crew back together. He does it. He does it. Except for Bob Duvall, he does it over the phone. We do, both except noted for uh, Angelina Jolie. Oh, he goes see her. He, he, he goes goes to see yeah. her at her one job, and then he goes. They continue it at our second job. And, like, there's basically, like, I apparently you learn later on that they used to date or mm-hmm. something. But, like, I got none of that from their original meeting. Like, they, it was, like, uh, like in contrast to our episode on Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, like, Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie have, like, the least on-screen chemistry. Yeah, and they just, they're not really in each other's faces that much. They, 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 they basically get like eight minutes together in the movie. Yeah, um, they're and, really not on not on screen together a lot, and they're very just like polite and cordial yeah. and uh, yeah. uninterested. We also noticed in terms of the uh, getting the crew together, there's one where he calls one of his buddies who is, again, going to like the Flintstones, everything has to do with driving. So this guy is um, now a driving instructor. Um, one of the the guys he's calling to get back into the the crew. Uh, do you, which, which one was that? Uh, it was it was a very. I mean, you've probably already blocked it out for your own mental health. <laughs> um, so he's a driving instructor, and um, he has a very bad student who is, happens to be uh, an an oh, Asian woman. God, I did already block that out because it was yeah. just so. First so, of all, unnecessary, and second of all, super racist. Yeah, and they double down on it by him being like, you shouldn't drive because you're an Asian woman, just like I won't go swimming because I'm black. Yeah, well, yeah, he's like, I know what, like, I can't swim, so I stay out of the pool. Yeah, so it's just this kind of, like, doubling down on this weird early 2000s. Or, or, I mean, it's like, well, you're... let's be honest, I mean, like, contemporary American racism. Yeah, uh, yeah not limited to the 2000s. Yeah, so it was just really one of these like sort of like stomach-turning scenes where it is... And that's the whole... That's the only thing that happens in that scene. Like, yeah. is it supposed to be like That's a his whole beat? fun getting the gang back together beat right. for that guy. And it's it's just... It's mind-blowing in that it just has nothing to do with anything for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. So, the, yeah, they really drain all the fun out of one of my favorite heist tropes. Is, um, yeah, is anyone even doing anything? You know, like you mentioned in your in your like chicken wing eating contest, mm-hmm, like that yeah. is ten- that does tend to be part of the trope. It's like someone is doing something ridiculous, and then main character shows up and, and they're like, "I quit," and they they walk out. But like no one was even doing no, anything. No, I mean like Angelina Jolie's working as a mechanic and a bartender, um, and they kind of have a good they have a good scene where um, <laughs> it's weird like. Uh, Angelina Jolie is like serving customers while Nicolas Cage is trying to kind of rope her back in. And um, one customer keeps asking for a drink and gets ignored. And um, Nicolas Cage snaps at him and then apologizes and, and buys his drink. And I just thought that was, I don't know why, like I, that just, uh, again, like a, it just, there was nice texture there. I thought that was a nice moment, uh. which like with the normal bro thing, especially in this movie, I thought was kind of fun. But no one's doing anything interesting. Like there's yeah. no... Um, there's nothing really fun there. And even the I'd like to buy your drink thing 
came off to me like a little bit like aggro, like a little bit. Like, oh, that's fair. Like uh, pouring salt in his wound or whatever. Or of being like, oh, of like a power play. I yeah. like. I mean, I'm probably a problem drinker, so I would just be like, this is a little, <laughs> this is a little bar miracle. <laughs> just, You'd be like, that is so nice. This just turned into a fun story. Thank you. <laughs> Please and thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that beat is kind of wasted on this movie's um, uh, missteps. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So they get the gang together, except for Angelina Jolie, who says no. Um, and then they start, they're like, okay, we're going to steal all these cars. And we're going to do it in one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, um, like the cops, there's yes. like these two cops that are on their trail. Um, and... So it is, it is doing that well where it's sort of like, I think a good movie impulse is like, keep the pressure up on your protagonist so it's like not only does he have to steal 50 cars in 72 hours the uh the cops are also kind of noticing this movement of all these car thieves they notice that memphis reigns is back in town um and you don't forget a name like memphis reigns uh <laughs> and um so the cops timothy oliphant and um uh delroy lindo um who i i love delroy lindo he was in get shorty Oh, that's right. He's I knew in it. that. He's um, very, yeah, he's like one of those actors where you're like, oh, I know exactly who he is. And he's really great in this. He's kind of like the, um, yeah, he's sort of like the Tommy Lee Jones, the law heavy, where you know, like Tommy Lee Jones and Delroy Lindo are the heavy, technically, because yeah. they're trying to stop the protagonist, but you know they're also a good person. Yeah. That, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's like the character he's playing, where he's like very serious cop, but yeah. he's also kind of a sweetheart. And he brings but, a really nice, earnest intensity to his role here that I really thought was fun. Yeah, and there's a just a weird um, tension between him and Timothy Oliphant. They yeah, just, they don't get along. They but... just seem to like genuinely not like each other, like <laughs> to, and not in like a to, fun intense way, like yeah. in a married couple who's going to get divorced. Yeah. And to the okay. point where it felt like it was maybe, like, some off-screen tension. That kind of point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it didn't seem, like, uh, written in on purpose. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, um, yeah. So, they, they they have that going on. So, yeah. I was kind of confused about what they were trying to go for there. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it wasn't, like, uh, Delroy Lindo was, like, the guy who was really serious about his job. And then Timothy Oliphant was, like, the flake. And that they're fighting because of that it was just like they were just both regular cops and they just didn't like each other yeah it was weird it did it didn't really pay off or do anything but i i think it's like i almost prefer it to just sort of like having that the dynamic between them be flat like i would write like uh like one thing i i tell like in like when i lead like a creative writing workshop is like make your characters want something no matter what even if they're like a server in a diner at 3 a.m make them be bored and want to talk to the customer, make them um, uh, hate the customer and just want to go home. And I think just like having these two hate each other without really explaining it or digging into it kind of makes those scenes more interesting, even though it was a little distracting. But, but. yeah, I think I guess if it was, it's like if you're going to do that, then like make them hate each other. It, it felt like a little bit yeah. like I wasn't sure if we were supposed to think that they hated each other or supposed to think that this was a regular working relationship. Like it wasn't quite... Uh, obvious enough yeah and it, and it was sort of like if you i think it was probably what this movie thought it was doing is like it knew that there were cop movies where the two cops didn't get along but the thing is is like when there are cop movies where the two cops don't get along that's the main event right it's like a buddy cop. you can't movie. just have that going on on the side like i still kind of was just like it's better than those scenes being boring but like it never really developed in like the third act of them being like 
their differing differing points of view like having them split off in the plot or anything yeah you know no, it like, just felt like a, a bit of a wasted opportunity yeah it was weird and there's just weird emphasis put on it too yeah um so oh, anyway they're another moving part yeah is, like this is like a, another one of uh, uh is um someone else has noticed that memphis reigns is back on the scene and that is um sort of like a late 90s gangster stereotype johnny b <laughs> that's right i forgot there's a whole other gang yeah that is in like two scenes yeah and um yeah and so they they're putting on the heat on memphis reigns too to get out of town um oh and, right because they're like old nemeses from way back or yeah something. and so um i won't even get into some of the offensive wrinkles of those scenes but they're there feel free to go and and, and spool through those yeah but but yeah so i do like that the um the writer is um knowing like it's fun to have a, a bunch of other opposing forces all being like yeah, don't that's true like not only do you have to do a hard thing but everyone's being like don't do that hard thing like it's a <laughs> it's a good um and it's fun i i think again what could have been at least it's fun dipping into like a sub subculture to be like yeah it's not just uh memphis reigns it's also like it's memphis reigns and his crew it's his little brother and his crew it's this other guy and his crew yeah. it's like there's a bunch of people like operating in this world yeah that are clashing another thing that sort of steals some thunder from the getting the crew back together so it's like um memphis reigns has his crew that he trusts and they're all kind of older more experienced car thieves and then memphis missed memphis missed uh <laughs> <laughs> which i wish was his name in the movie if this movie had real courage that's what they would have named his name in the movie is phoebe's brother phoebe's brother everyone just calls him pb <laughs> um and uh yeah so he brings he has his like younger more brash more fuck upish crew yeah and then so the the end of the crew getting back together is like they're like we can do it too and they're like no way <laughs> you can't do it too and like <laughs> and then they're like we can actually do it too and, uh, and then robert duvall or as you call him bob duvall Bobby. is like hey we could actually use the extra people because we only got like two guys from our getting the crew back yeah. together montage yeah that's great and then uh and that's when angelina jolie shows up on a crotch rocket for no reason she, yeah and she just shows up she doesn't say anything no one yeah. says anything to her she's just like i'm here now also yeah and so like the crew is together at that point and i'm just like thank god that was an ordeal like, I'm just, <laughs> like i wasn't I, I'm not, that like, was not fun for anyone involved absolutely <laughs> me just, or like, them yeah i had just like taken off articles of clothing and I was sweating i was like this is that was rough um so they're together and it's like maybe something fun will happen at this point does it no no yeah. i think they start writing yeah. on a chalkboard is the main thing that happens yeah they write a lot of this is where they're they're really um they're forward about it the whole time but they really uh they really hit on it here that um all the women like her or all the cars like hurricanes are named after women um and is it all hurricanes that have women's names or just all bad ones no you're right because there's like hurricane andrew and stuff like that i think it's like i think people notice after the fact that the worst <laughs> ones are named after women um but um but no all the all the cars are named after women and the one character and i think this is a good screenwriting you should always have a character ask a question when the audience would be asking that yeah, question. Yeah, anytime the audience is like, why did he do that? One of the characters in the movie should be like, why did you do that? Yeah. So that the audience doesn't feel like they're going crazy. Yeah, and like, um, so one character is just like, why are all the car? why do we call all the cars by ladies' names? They're given names like Janet or like... Uh, Edna, Eleanor. Edna. Yeah, I guess, yeah. And, um, and so I was like, 
just no having sat through the driving instructor scene, I was like, oh, this ought to be good. I but, know, right? Just gearing up for Nicolas Cage to say the most offensive thing. Yeah, but they kind of danced around it and were just sort of like, well, you know, if you're if you're on the radio talking about cars and you have a code, people will know what you're talking about. Which and, is like, yes, that's good. That's practical advice. It's not really what he asked. Yeah, he asked, why are they? And I think the real answer was in um, the... You know, the once you see them talking about the, the cars as women, once they're starting to steal them, even Angelina Jolie, as they're about to steal much cars, just like, this goes like, I always loved a redhead. Oh, yeah. She, like, aggressively sexualizes uh, all of that. And not in a way that feels like it's about her. It's very much, like, kind of like that sad, you know, like, someone who is talking in a certain way, taking on certain mannerisms to impress the gross Definitely. clique of men they're around. Absolutely. Where it's just like, these yeah. are the people that I hang around, so I have to talk like this so that I'll be accepted. And it's sort of like this, I think the, the calling the cars women is like sort of like this old school kind of grimy car car culture about picking up women where it's borderline assault even, you know even when it's but they're like they're there for the plucking yeah absolutely yeah i think that's an actual line of dialogue from the yeah where yeah. it's like sort of like getting away with something you know it's just it was gross um but they they try to address that a little bit not to my satisfaction by any means but, um, but yeah at least they're aware i guess this is where they also start to address there's um uh one of the cops makes an oblique reference to Eleanor, which we think is going to be a woman from Memphis Rain's life. Oh. We find out later that yeah. this is a car that he, um, he... I was a little confused about that part because he refers to all of the cars of the same make and model as Eleanor, but they're different cars mm-hmm. throughout the The movie. idea that we get as we go on is that it is a type of car that he's tried to steal before and just... For whatever reason, it always goes wrong with this type of car. Yeah. They told some story about how he was like in the middle of stealing one and he almost got it but then he like accidentally drove into the ocean or something yeah and like and here's something that annoys me about this so eleanor that this is his his car that he can't he can't get um this is a very uh in literature if you if you did the reading in high school you'll know that this is classically referred to as a white whale like everyone knows you just call it no that's that's his white whale so this movie instead like they call it a unicorn Oh, they do keep referring to it as a unicorn, and then they keep having to ca- explain. Char- characters in the movie ask, what's a unicorn? And then someone else yeah. in the scene has to explain what a unicorn God is. God forbid, you just have the characters say, that's his white whale. And any of these young kids with, like, bleach blonde hair in 2000 who are listening to Too Much Eminem can be like, uh, what's a white whale? I'm going to go to my local library and learn something. Also, context clues. It would have been clear. That was definitely... You're right. No, they probably just called it, like, uh, the unicorn or whatever. It definitely felt like a like a, a studio note or something. Someone mm-hmm. being like, I'm worried that people are going to be confused if we don't explicitly explain what this terminology means. And this movie's reward for thinking that it can improve on Herman Melville is that a, <laughs> a unicorn is now used to refer to a person who will have sex with a married couple with that expectation of emotional attachment is it i always well here's okay uh i always uh had heard the term unicorn just to basically describe anything that was like really amazing but hard to come by no that's in which case it would apply to that scenario but also other scenarios okay no i think that that's absolutely fair i think that is probably but maybe i'm just not as much uh, familiar with the terminology of internet porn. No, no. <laughs> no, I think this is recent. I think this is like a post-2015-ish type term. Oh, okay. But I just mean like that, 
that is that. And uh, but I think the the um the point that or uh, the distinction that you're making is important is sort of like these cars are not hard to find; they're hard to capture, which makes white whale a more apt term. I, where like unicorns are literally they not many of them exist. Yeah, if I he mean, yeah if he had to break zero. into the international car museum in car france uh <laughs> to find this car then the unicorn would be a, a better description yeah. of it i mean they do mention that the that the eleanor car is you know rare ish mm-hmm. like they have to go to a warehouse to get it but the emphasis is that something goes wrong once he tries to steal it which is a white whale situation that's true the emphasis is like it's that one car he can't get yeah so that's all i'm saying is sort of like do the reading movie um <laughs> but that leads uh, us into another a great Nicolas Cage scene is uh, this is the point of the movie where they have to find out where all these cars are so that they can plan to steal them. Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes into a fancy car dealership and it's just him in like a nice suit and he just pretends to be this rich asshole. Um, And he's like, I've just moved to LA and it's, I've been here for two weeks and I'm not invited to any of the cool parties yet. And it's just like, he's, great it's like that's the character he should have been playing in this absolutely movie. yeah nicholas cage being manic and thinking he's pulling something off is just it's a treat yeah and he's just he's just uh playing it very like narcissistic and crazy in that scene and it's it's delightful absolutely yeah no he, he like uh whenever he's allowed to kind of like let his uh his nicholas cage out <laughs> what is ever whenever he's allowed to let nicholas out of the cage uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, that was good. <laughs> uh, also, a comment I had, like, I was like, okay, you're going to do a car movie. Great. I better see some interesting cars. Yeah, and this is the part, part of the movie where they steal 50 cars in a row and they shoot them stealing 50 cars. And it's, like, not a lot of shots of anything interesting happening. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of shots of interesting looking cars. Although... I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't know, I guess, but it didn't seem very interesting yeah. from any standpoint. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they were like, a lot of them were just kind of like very nice, like kind of like Cadillac SUVs, like uh, things like that. Like uh, yeah. nothing really interesting where it's sort of like, oh, well, this one has a door on the roof or, you know, whatever. Like you. And all the shots were just like, they break in and then they hotwire it and mm-hmm. then they break into the next one and they hotwire it and then they break into the next one and they hotwire yeah. it. It's not like an... It's not like, oh, we have to do something crazy, interesting, yeah. and special to get this thing. So it's just, like, the same shot over and over. Yeah. So um, I was hoping for, even without caring about cars, I was hoping for more interesting car stuff. So we're at, we're at the part where they're stealing 50 cars. And they yeah. just steal them all right in a row, and there's no problem. Yeah. Um, and then... One of these young kids, the kid who gives the masturbation speech at the beginning. Okay. So he, he had gotten these special laser cut keys to steal these other cars. Yeah. But he did... It he, was like all like the Mercedes or so. There was yeah. some type of car. But he used the same person uh, that he used for the last time. So that he, like the job that went bad and yeah. the cops... Flipped this, this weasel guy. Uh, who had sold... Who was also from something. He, yeah. He seemed, he seemed like a sitcom kind of actor. Yeah. Uh, but he looked really familiar, but he did a good kind of, like, forehead sweat um, performance. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically, like, all the keys that they have for these last what, five cars or whatever are all, um, you know, the cops are on to them, and the cops are waiting to arrest them, I guess, yeah. if they try to steal them. So they have to steal other 
Mercedes cars. I think they were Mercedes. And so the only ones that they know of are the ones from the first job that went mm. bad that are all now down at the police precinct. Yes. Also, at this point, they're like, here are two golden opportunities that were squandered. Um, first of all is stealing cars from a police precinct or whatever. Great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, second is, as soon as they decide to do that, they realize that the dog... Uh, like Bob Zuval's dog has eaten all the keys uh-huh. and now they have to get him out which again and Bolt Tony is right there and it's like guys we've seen this in snatch literal scene before yeah. it goes open him up and check so what do you mean open him up Just open him up and check yeah and someone t- takes out a knife yeah yeah it's uh yeah, and Bolt Tony is in that scene right yeah, and that's yeah. crazy but so uh so that's like a gold mine which in snatch is played to great effect and is a a thing throughout the movie it's great um, in this movie, there's one scene in which they're like, oh no, the dog ate the keys. And then, uh, there's another scene that the dog is in. The, the next scene that the dog is in, he poops out the keys and everything's fine. And it's yeah. like, and they were like, great, everything's just fine. And that's, that's a big complaint I have too, where it's like, this could be really fun and propulsive and, and cool, but they use the fact that they're stealing a bunch of different cars to make the plot basically episodic. Like, there's not a lot of cause and effect. It's all just yeah. these kind of random one-off episodes where it's like a problem arises and resolves. And it always resolves very quickly and very yeah. simply. And very rarely does one thing lead to the other. Um, and things are kind of resolved just by luck and by chance. And so it's like, it ends up being one of those things where a lot happens, but you end up feeling kind of um, like you you like when you eat tapas, you know? Like you're full, but like you don't really remember you can't eating remember anything. Why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, and same thing with a lot of the car chases in this in this. So the, in this part of the movie, it's like things are things are harder, and like things are going bad, and there's car chases, and there's a lot of like dramatic car chases in which very big things happen, and things explode, and things shoot through walls, and like, but it all just felt like. There was a lot happening on screen, but I couldn't follow the thread of the scene. So it was hard to, it was hard to really understand or visualize what was actually happening. It was just Mm -hmm. like a bunch of stuff on the screen that you were like, oh, okay, I guess it's done now. Yeah. The, the, as we, as we talked about, like the car chases, like, didn't really have any sense of geography to make them interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, you're just sort of like, I guess. Yeah. You're like, I, I trust that this is happening. Yeah. In this way that you... Are saying yeah, that it is. Absolutely. I have no way of knowing. So, um, so they steal, like, all but, of course, Ele- Eleanor. Eleanor, the, uh, the white unicorn, um, <laughs> is, is the one car that causes the most problems. Um, it ends up being kind of like the most, again, too, for a car movie, we don't really see that much of a proper car chase until this. Mm. There's, like, there's cars driving around and, and some to do with cars, but, like, this is the first. What I would call a proper like car chase. Yeah. Um, the geography is a mess, so that really they do the thing that they always do in LA car movies, where they're driving in those. What are those? The aqueducts or whatever, yeah, or the, the viaducts. Yeah, whatever. They do it and drive. Yeah, and it's like he he pushes a special button. It's like car go fast now. Yeah, absolutely. Like what the button is like. Which he reaches for with a confidence that makes me think that all these Eleanor cars have this. Um, yeah, that I. It's like because he didn't. 
he clearly didn't like have time to install anything fancy in this car. It just existed like that already. Yeah. So, so he seems to know that that's there and that he can use that. And he, <laughs> yeah. he ends up going like 160 miles per hour. Which, yeah, that's also like, it was very like rocky in that. Yeah. That area where I was like, if he hits anything, he's just going to absolutely disintegrate and a helicopter too a helicopter's watching him was just like he's gone and sort of like so he's yeah. escaped over the horizon like uh yeah. i don't know i i don't know, I don't how. know how fast helicopters fly but or it's like but i think it's like more of a height thing it's like go <laughs> go up <laughs> you know it's like we understand you can see further yeah we understand you're not gonna see him as well but you'll be able to be like yeah no he's still there um but um so then they get to there's another there, in the continuation of this same car chase there's like cop cars flying through walls i don't know there's just like a bunch of cop cars that get crashed but i never saw them in the beginning so i don't know how many there were in the beginning yeah. there's just like heaven help you if you can understand what's going on in this car scene like <laughs> it's like a cop car gets crashed through a wall and then a cop car flips over the edge and you're like wait was that the same that was must have been a different car from earlier how many were there in general anyway it ends up on the like a bridge mm-hmm. where uh where there's um a huge traffic accident that's blocked all the lanes and he only has four minutes on the atomic clock to get to <laughs> oh yeah so the implication they're they're literally counting down yeah like by the second like a title like a super on the screen it's like four minutes to go yeah it's sort of like wow you're really like type like casting this villain as a type a <laughs> yeah that he's watching a stopwatch like he would be like we said tuesday i don't see these cars i'm gonna kill everybody like, yeah it's like it's the type of um on-screen clock they're doing is like when a nuclear bomb is about to go off yeah. and you have to get there before it hits zero or else everyone's dead yeah it was it was silly but yeah so uh, describe what happens next this is wonderful so he he screeches to a halt uh, on this highway because traffic is blocked off as far as you can see and there's a huge pile up that's like 50 cars long and someone has casually left out this car ramp that uh, leads yeah. to nowhere. Someone has like a truck that's like one of those things that you would let a car onto, but they have the truck, the thing that you drive up just like at an angle. Yeah, so there's like a ramp for him mm-hmm. to drive on. So he revs the end. And this is like the cops are like right behind him. They're like, we've got him now. Um, so he, you know, revs the engine, drives up this ramp, not being able to see what's on the other side of the ramp. Like yeah. He, as a driver, has no idea how long could this pileup is. It could be a line of 20 killer whales yeah. for all he can see. Like he has a, no idea what's past it or how, how long it goes. Just drives as fast as he can up this ramp, miraculously clears, you know, 50 cars in a row, and just lands on the other side with no problem. Yeah. And here's this painting what kind of audience member i am all you have to do as a filmmaker to earn what you've just done for me is after nicholas cage does that you have to show someone who looks like me in a ford escort being inspired to try it too it's <laughs> 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 like oh yeah no, well, <laughs> traffic jam yeah right and then it's like they just like get up to the top of the ramp and then just barely roll over the <laughs> side of the truck and just like then i would be like fine you touched it and like yeah, that's great you but. noticed that it was like this is a thing that not all cars can do his car is special and so that was yeah. fine and so nicholas cage in like a a um luxury sports car flies like 70 feet i would say <laughs> i'm not a judge of distances but he goes I mean, over it's... at least six cars oh i would say it was like 25 <laughs> 
I mean, it was like a long. This stretch. is this is like, why you. Uh, it's crazy that people get sent to jail over eyewitnesses. <laughs> like we, we both just watched this movie. We just watched this like an hour. Yeah, ago. but I, I think both are seem high for what you could do. Yeah, and I I was just also struck by the fact that it was it wasn't like a pile up where there was a bunch of cars smushed into each other. It was like there was two cars and then there was like a big gap and then there was like another car and there was a big gap and then another two cars and a big gap. It was like it was really like drawn out it was silly yeah anyway so he he clears it of course with no problem um he gives it to the bad guy he gets it to doctor who gives it to doctor who who by the way this is like the second time we've seen the bad guy we spent a lot of time establishing doctor who with his wood fetish we never see him again never see him he's not he's not one of the you don't check back in with him to be like, only 12 hours left. You're supposed to see him doing something specific. Like, he's supposed to send, like, a henchman to do something bad. And then we see him, like, feed the guy to eels or something. You know, we're yeah. supposed to be, like, reminded that this guy's a, a real a kicking He's clock. there yeah. and is bad and has, like, power to do bad things. Yeah, but we for, I forgot about him. Yeah, uh, and he entire... just he just shows up with a car and he's like, you're late. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Nicholas Cage is like, I'm 12 minutes late. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna screw me over 12 minutes. I definitely felt like I was owed a scene where they like eat Robert Duvall's or Bob's uh, goldfish or something. He doesn't have a goldfish in the movie, but like, you know, we need that scene of him be like, no, like, you sons of bitches. Like, uh, absolutely, it was like, who is this guy? Like, you just told us in the beginning that he's bad, so I guess we'll take your word for yeah. it. We we haven't seen him be bad at all to anyone. Yeah, and so then uh, Nicholas Cage turns in the car again. This is the, uh, another scene, the scene where because the car's all messed up. They at yeah. least they at least do it is it. a little dinged. They give us the dignity of being like this car would not be in mint condition after <laughs> he just flew it through the sun. But um uh we get a good Nicholas Cage scene of him being very manic turning the car in. He he turns it into Doctor Who who's like um he he kind of does like the fake agreeable bad guy move um and um and we, we Yeah, where he's like, "Oh, no problem. It's no problem." Yeah, there's also been a phone call that we we're not privy to where we get or that, that Nicholas Cage isn't privy to. That Nicholas Cage isn't privy to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, we'd see it. <laughs> I, I just I know I intuited the phone call. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's late. And, uh, <laughs> um but um so uh that we get the indication that um one of uh the bad guys henchmen who's kind of like a middleman between them is going to let Memphis Mists off the hook so then get him out of town so then Doctor Who's like great I'll just kill Nicolas Cage so that's why he's being all super sweet when he turns in the car and then he just he's like oh no that sounds fine and then he punches him and then we have kind of a boss fight yeah so it's it's basically like he's uh, he's swapped Nicolas Cage in for his brother so he's like great now I'll kill you now instead yeah and um, so then the um, the cops our, our main cop gets back in the mix yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, standard... Standard bad guy showdown. Action thing. But the, the, the move they're going for here is that, like, um, the um, the bad guy gets the upper hand on the cop guy. Memphis Rain saves him and then tips him off to the, where all the stolen cars are. But not before throwing... Oh, yeah, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Like, I, I don't even know where they were. He pushes him over the edge. They're looking in an industrial space this yes. whole time. Yeah. yeah, like a big factory or something. Yeah. Uh, and it pushes him over the edge, and then there's just, like, a shot of him falling for, like, 25 seconds. And where does he fall? Oh, he falls on the coffin, doesn't he? He lands in his he coffin, his first coffin, coffin that he made. His first one. Again, like, it just, I would 
I would probably would have also, rather watched his story. I would have rather watched him from him making the coffin to falling in it. I think it would be a more interesting movie for me. But. There's also uh, the, uh, a part short uh, shortly before he dies where they touch back on the wood thing by they have um, Nicolas Cage pick up a piece of furniture and oh, be yeah. like brandish him at him and all of a sudden the Doctor Who guy's like oh be careful with that you might hurt yeah. it which and- is like that. You needed to hit that a lot more frequently for that to have made any sense. And like, it was for us also to remember that he has such a weird thing about wood. Another confusing thing is that the object of wood he picks up looks like an Escher drawing. <laughs> like it's uh, not <laughs> yeah. any recognizable. It's all legs. <laughs> if he picked up like a beautiful chair that this guy had made, I'd been like, oh, that's good inventory. Like he would care about that beautiful chair. It's like I don't know how finished this thing was. Like <laughs> it was. I don't know. It was a window into that guy's madness for sure. <laughs> Another complaint we had is like that he pulled out like during the shootout he goes to his office. The bad guy goes to his office and pulls out like a gun, and we were both lamenting immediately, being like that the gun wasn't made out of wood. <laughs> just seems... Right? If you're gonna go for the weird yeah. wood thing, like this guy has like some like he's got an arm made out of wood, like he's got a wood thing, then like go all in it. And again, yeah, that is to me like that is how you you don't win those decisions by pulling them back for me as an audience yeah. member you win them by pushing them to it's like okay they're having fun yeah because otherwise it was just like oh i guess he has kind of a thing for wood maybe yeah and yeah as opposed to like oh this is this guy's yeah. driving force for being alive of course this matters to him or even if it's just like a regular gun and nicholas cage is disadvantaged in a moment and we just see the guy like pull out a clip and just be like like uh change clip is going to be like wood bullets and then like slam them into the gun <laughs> and Nicholas Cage you'd be like why <laughs> like, like that like you don't even have to answer that question yeah. and I would be like Good this movie is is better than anything David Lynch has ever done <laughs> <laughs> but the worst part the hands down the worst part of the showdown is um so it's like the cop and Nicholas Cage and the Doctor Who bad guy um and the Doctor Who bad guy falls to his death and then like, the cop turns to Nick Cage, who he's been chasing for this entire movie, uh, and, like, it seems like his only motivation for being in this movie is to arrest Nicolas Cage. He just turns to Nicolas Cage, and he's like, get out of here. Yeah, that's, that's not really believable. And he's like, what? Like, for no reason, he's like, I've decided to let you go. We're maybe supposed to believe that because he's murdered someone in front of a cop, he's now, like, got a good grace. Right? It's like, yeah. it's like Olivia Benson would not stand for that. Like, yeah. there's, you're still a cop, even if, like, somebody's, a bad guy saved your life. Yeah. Like, you still have to put them in jail. So it's like, yeah, murdering a cop, murdering someone who's trying to murder a cop is not going to get you any brownie points with That's a cop. That's not how yeah. laws work. It's yeah. not like you're like, oh, now I owe you one. Yeah, you're better off flying cars, in my book, than trying to, <laughs> than trying to ingratiate yourself a cop with murder. By committing murder in front of him. <laughs> So that was a little silly. We go right to the car barbecue. Um, yeah, which and then Dinuma. Angelina Jolie is back for the next time. We've it's like she, it's just she's, she's just, just kind like, of disappeared. Yeah. She's just also still in the movie. We're reminded. Yes, and uh, so they're all having a barbecue out of a car because cars and because um, <laughs> vroom vroom beep beep. That's uh, <laughs> the reasoning behind there being a car barbecue. Um, they're all having a good time. They, it's kind of a, uh, this is kind of a fun moment. The um, Rabisi character, who's been a, a script the whole time, gets them a very, 
presents Nicolas Cage as a present with a very junky version of Eleanor that he can fix up and drive. Yeah, and he bought it with real money. He didn't steal it. And it's like a... I also don't know if you noticed, but in that scene, he was clean shaven. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah. Giovanni Ribisi. Which was like, he, in the rest of the movie, had like It's a, externalization of what's, we're yeah, supposed to, yeah. Yeah, but it, it seemed like a little, a little bit light to the point of like, it, because it was also like a very thin goatee before. Mm-hmm. So it was like not a very noticeable change. Yeah. But uh, I assume that's what they're yeah, going Yeah, they should have got like, just like he's in like a Jiffy Lube uniform, like he's really straightened down, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. A, yeah it's, uh... um, and then uh, the one other good, good scene, although this is just a Futurama bit. Um, is uh, Bolt Tooth Tony, who I think is called the Sphinx in this movie, and it's um, m- people have been referencing the fact that he can't speak, like physically mm-hmm. can't speak, um, like everyone thinks that he can't speak for some reason. They're having this barbecue, and um, people are kind of like giving their like moral of the day, and he stands up and gives like an eloquent beautiful speech about uh uh-huh. i don't remember what it was about but it, it was it's the beat in futurama where scruffy who uh never says anything and is not a part of the crew mm-hmm. just stands up and says what fevered dream is this that bids to tear our company in twain which is a better also better writing that's like a better <laughs> like first of all i like you um uh, sticking your flag in the in the earth and just being like, no, Futurama get, gets this bit. But um, <laughs> uh, but also like the kind of the speech they give him is a sort of like the sort of Roger's thesaurus version of Shakespeare, where it's like he says the same thing three times just with different adverbs. Yeah, it goes on arguably three times as long as it needs yeah. To. It's like the and it and it's just sort of like this very like amateurish attempt at eloquence. Yeah. Um, where uh. It's, you know, I mean, I, to be fair, it's a slam dunk for the crowd they were going for, but like. But like, to use another example, in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, when Groot only says, I am Groot, Mm -hmm. for the whole movie, and then during the one super climactic scene in which he's sacrificing his life to save his friends, he says, we are Groot. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, moving because it's such an emotionally climactic Oh, you're scene. right. They, but they do it in the denouement, which makes no sense. It's just a throwaway bit. It's yeah. just a throwaway bit. So it's like, why did, if his whole thing, yeah. if he's never spoken to these people in the decades that That's he's known point. him, why did he choose this one moment in which nothing important was happening to have this long, expansive line? To the point where people were like, I thought you were from Long Beach because he's like has a British accent. So it's like if anyway. But even if you're trying to sell that as a joke, they never really make they never really have him not speaking be a problem. Yeah, they mention it at the very beginning when they introduce his character and then he just never it never would come up like he never has any lines for the rest of the movie either way. Yeah, and even if you just want that to be a throwaway joke in the last five minutes, you need to have there be like a part where a job is going to go poorly, he needs to just verbally warn someone and he, and he won't do he it. He won't or, do it and it yeah. like causes confusion. Exactly. So it's like... So a lot of like opening beats and ending beats mm-hmm. throughout, but uh, no middle beats to make the ending beats make sense. Yeah, and it just felt it felt like kind of like someone who m- had seen better movies Yeah. made this movie. Yeah. Who's like, I know beats. I know beats from fun movies. Yeah. And it was a little bit, um, yeah, I mean, they were just sort of like, culturally it was a little backwards even for the time, I think. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of transgressive stuff. A and... lot of just, uh, like, 
overtly racist jokes. Yeah. That they thought were funny because they were racist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like very male gazy. Um, they just like there's a weird sex scene where because um, they know for the crowd they're going for that you need like a, at least a butt. They were yeah, they were basically at least like, one human butt. We have to have like some sex scene and like Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie are terrible together. So we're going to just randomly voyeuristically watch another couple have sex through a window. Yeah. Which they do. They have like kind of a flirtation scene where it's sort of like, have you ever like seen one of those demos where two AIs talk to each other? Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like, it's like, it's haunting and chilling and and makes you wonder about being a person, but it's not (laughs) sexy. And, um, but yeah, so they're just peeping Tom on these people who are, who are, uh, you know, uh, making out. Uh, knowing each other biblically uh <laughs> like beginning to know each other yeah beginning yeah um uh being fruitful and multiplying um so yeah so that's that scene so yeah but yeah what did you think about gone in 60 seconds Whoa. i thought it was shockingly boring like yeah no that's fair i was like, like uh we've done a few movies on this on this podcast now that are you know not good you know but uh really entertaining are fun to watch while mm-hmm. you're in them like the scenes have surface tension you're rooting for somebody like this just had none of that yeah it felt like just like it didn't know how to have fun with with what it was doing it didn't like yeah. the stealing cars didn't look fun uh running away from the cops didn't look fun yeah it was almost like they were like well the cars are fun and heists are fun and stealing is fun so we don't have to make any of the scenes fun because the inventory will just naturally be fun yeah yeah I think, like, no, yeah, the thing I, I find myself thinking is sort of like, if it's June 2000, which, like, God bless you, what a time to be alive, uh, <laughs> um, and you pop into the multiplex and you watch this and you had a good time, that's great, good for you, it was, you got your $15 worth or whatever. Yeah. If you are watching this now and you were like, I love this, <laughs> like, no judgment, I just have zero interest in you as a person. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's where... Yeah, uh, if you are... Write us and tell us why. Yeah. I'm genuinely curious. Can I'm going to uh, give you a tough question here. Uh, it's kind of our final segment. Yeah. You can change one thing about this movie to make uh, it better. What would it be? The wooden gun? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's not a bad choice. <laughs> so as I'm concerned. No, I want to uh, think about this for a second. So, I mean, I'm not sure how much how much good this would do to the movie, but I'm going to say I would have the rival gang that is basically only in the very beginning be actively working to sabotage mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage's crew during this yeah this heist. So it's like, it's not just like, oh, we steal this car, now we steal this car, now we steal this car. It's like each car is like a fight where they have to, you know interact with these other guys that are trying to thwart them i gotcha no i think that's great because they are taken out of commission it's one another one of the situations that seems to like resolve itself fairly easily i think my thing that i would change and this we'll have to discuss this like what counts as one thing <laughs> but i would say like the biggest i think the most fundamental thing i would say is i would have said everything has to be linked by cause and effect <laughs> nothing can happen like if you want the dog to eat those keys you need to make that happen. There's has to be something in the plot that makes that happen. That's a great specific point. When the dog does eat the keys... It the, just happens. It just happens, and then the guy whose dog it is is like, oh, he usually does license plates. But it's like, we didn't see the dog eating a license we plate do, earlier. We do, oh, but do there's we? no emphasis put on it. Mm-hmm. And it's it, 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 that's still sort of like... 
there's no um like in snatch for example to use a very good version of this it's like the dog eats everything like yeah. that's that's like and then the, the dog the, being in the room that's the one thing that that dog does in every scene it's in yeah and i think so maybe that that point they do they i guess they show the dog chewing on a license plate but that doesn't necessarily mean that the dog would eat forkies yeah um, that's a bit of a jump but and even just sort of like if Something goes bad in one job, it needs to have, like, a cascading effect where it just felt so episodic. and, and so, But that might be all, like, so big, it's like the... It would have to change all of the plots. The entire movie. So, yeah. So if I can only pick one granular thing, the bad guy should pull out a wooden gun. <laughs> like, I would have been like, this is great. I would have forgiven everything else. It would have been like, I would have rewatched it and been like, I get it now. Um... But yeah, I think uh, cause and effect, everybody. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. good but yeah, so I think that's it. We, we, we've done, gone in 60 seconds. Any final thoughts or anything? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening with us, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and as always, I love you guys. <laughs>